Hello, I'm Zara, a self-published author of young adult and new adult fiction. And I'm Kelly, a fantasy writer being held together by threads of optimism. And this is Writish, the podcast by writers for writers, where we discuss craft and hot topics in the writing community. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about some of the best writing advice we have heard, and this is just advice that has stuck with us. Yes, these are all opinions uh, about advice that we've heard. We're not going to be giving fresh advice like we normally do in our other podcast episodes. This is more of a reaction episode, and we will link some famous writing advice in the show notes. A lot of the ones that I have picked out here come from a mixture of different places, different sources. Whenever I got first into the online writing space. Jenna Moresi was someone that I was watching constantly. So a lot of her advice has, of course, stuck with me. Alexa Dunn, some other bigger author tubers that you might have known. So that's where my advice stems from. And like Zara said, these are all opinion based. So the first thing that I am going to talk about, which is also my favorite piece of advice, is just do the damn thing. The book isn't going to write itself. So all you need to do is just start writing. You know, we talk a lot about how the first draft doesn't need to be perfect. And I think that this piece of advice really kind of goes well with that piece of advice. And it's good for writers who are just getting started, like just do it. You can sit down and spend months planning your book, or you can spend years thinking about writing the book, but thinking about writing the book isn't going to write the book. So you just need to do the damn thing and write the book. (laughs) Yeah, that's why NaNoWriMo helps a lot of people because it just puts a fire under them so that they have to do the thing. You know, obviously we've talked a lot about, you know, if you need to take breaks during NaNo, that's okay. And you don't have to be a machine during that month. But the idea is that you finally do the thing that you've been putting off for however many years for however many excuses real or imagined that you've come up with the phrase pantsing means that you write by the seat of your pants but i think it's like very closely tied ass in chair just do the thing um i can't remember which famous writer it is but there is one who would sit naked which i think is the weird part (laughs) and not the point of this anecdote but would chain himself to his chair and not let himself get up to go to the bathroom until he was done with his writing session or his writing goal for the day. And I'm not saying you got to go that far, but you should just do the thing. Because like Kelly said, at some point, your planning is just going to hit a dead end. Because if you never do anything with the planning, kind of what we talked about in the outlining episode, planning is great. And there are some people who are against it, and that's okay. That's up to them. But it's not going to actually write the book for you. Nothing is going to write the book for you, except you. Keelan Rivers did do a video where she had an AI write stuff, and it was gibberish and garbage. So, yeah. You're the only one who's going to write your book, so you should start. I'm just over here thinking about what famous author is sitting naked pinned to a chair somewhere. I think my first piece of advice that I would like to share is you should start writing in the middle of the action. So we talked about outlining and there are a lot of different systems that are all kind of based off of Freytag's Pyramid and or the Hero's Journey. And I would recommend listening to our outlining episode if you want to know more about those and our thoughts on them. But all of those have a setup 
section, kind of. Like before the inciting incident happens and then the action kicks off and escalates until you reach the climax. Personally, I actually open my novels with the inciting incident and I don't go backwards. I don't do the this is the normal life before things change. I do this is the inciting incident and my characters normally, you know, kind of say like, oh, this is so different than blank, which refers to their normal life. But I don't want to read about their normal stuff. Like, I just want the excitement to begin with. It's the reason why I love crime shows so much is because they do a cold opening with someone discovering that someone is dead. If you're watching Law & Order SVU, you normally just see them arriving at the crime scene and the action kicks off, but they do a lot of banter during their investigations too. So you're not like missing out on the character development. But my point is, is that for me as a writer and a reader, don't make me sit through a lead up. Just hit me with it, baby. (laughs) I love that. And as someone who does have trouble focusing on reading, I read Obscure Origin, where clearly there's an alien abduction happening right at the start an alien invasion and that kept my attention as a reader like I talk to you about this frequently like how I struggle to set down and actually read something sometimes well that definitely pulled me in so there is a like beneficial things to starting with the inciting incident I know I reached out to you and was asking you like should I start here or should I start like with the build-up and you're like personally I do this and it was so nice and refreshing because I've never heard of starting at the inciting incident so it was a good exercise for me sometimes you just need to write it the way it's coming to you and if that means that you get the inciting incident before you get like a clear idea of what you want to do for the build-up start writing at the inciting incident. There is revision. We talked a lot about it in the previous episode. You can write from the inciting incident onward and then during revision be like, oh, I should add a buildup if you want it. And you could also be like me and say, I don't want a buildup. <laughs> I actually think what I ended up doing was I wrote from the inciting incident and continued forward. And then I went back and inserted a buildup just, you know, for giggles to see what it would look like. And I, I think because I did the inciting incident first, the buildup is so much more intense. It's not like a mundane buildup. It's action-packed buildup. So whenever the inciting incident happens, it's like, well, dang, this is this is going down. This is something that's actually happening, and it's sh- like shaking the character. So I think that that is a great piece of advice to to throw out there because even if you go back and do add in build up it's a good writing exercise and it will help you as a writer i think also we should clarify that the inciting incident is something that's like changes your character's world view or like their literal world you know like with an alien invasion and stuff and it's what sets off the rest of the journey. But the buildup that we're talking about that you may or may not do before said inciting incident should still start in medias res, which is Latin for in the middle. And the reason that I would go with that, regardless of whether or not you're starting at the inciting incident, is that I don't want to read your character waking up in the morning, brushing their hair, brushing their teeth, whatever. And I say that as someone who has done it sometimes, but in the context of them getting ready for something really, really big. But like, don't do it like in Fifty Shades of Grey, the movie where you see them getting ready for the day. And then that's just a boring introduction to someone. Whereas if you start with someone like 
on the train like clearly you know that they did some type of morning ritual or maybe going on the train is part of their morning ritual because they're on their way to work or they're going to a job interview which they've never been you know like the point is is that i don't want to see your character sleeping and then their morning routine that's not interesting unless they like have some really weird quirk or it's you know like in um American Psycho, where you see Christian Bale's character have this like crazy morning routine and you're just like, what is happening? This guy is weird, but you're you're interested. And that's the exception. Another really good thing that talking about like morning routines and like what characters do is I now disclaimer, I did not read the books. Um, as you know, I've said, I'm not like an avid reader, but I did watch the movies. And whenever Hunger Games first came out, Katniss's morning routine, it was vital to her lifestyle and like how she was like surviving and how she had to provide like doing for her family in this district and this dystopian world. So like that I thought was an interesting start. Yeah, if you can get in world building, I think it's okay. But I think if it's just like, this is what the character does. And this is like, this feels like the start of a scene. You're starting too early. You need to like start later in the scene, in the middle of the scene, not before all the main action has happened, but like, don't make us wait for the action to start. Give us something that there's already action happening, but the main event hasn't happened yet. Yes, I think that's a perfect way to like sum up all of the talking we just did. So something else I have written down here is habit is better than inspiration. And while having the muses speak to you and having the words flow from your fingertips in such a beautiful manner is nice. Creating a writing routine is much more beneficial. This doesn't mean you have to write every day. It just means that like on the days you don't write, it feels... It feels weird because like I've gotten in a routine to where, granted, I'm not writing every day, but if I don't write a certain amount of times a week, it feels odd to me because I'm so used to hitting certain marks every week now. And I just think that writing with habit and getting into like some sort of habitual state is better than just sitting around and waiting for whenever the muses will strike you because that could be months apart, years apart, and it's never going to get your book done tying back into just writing the book. Writing the book and creating a writing routine and a habit that works for you and is tailored to your lifestyle is definitely going to be more beneficial for you in the longer run than sitting around waiting for inspiration to strike. I know my schedule for live streaming changed and then also just attending other people's streams, which, you know, most people also have set schedules, which sometimes change every month or season, whatever. It has trained my brain to be like, okay, during this time of day on this day, you're going to be writing. And sometimes, you know, I still need like a warm up sprint to like if it's in the morning to eat breakfast and to make sure that all the technology is working for my stream and things like that. But my brain is used to it now so that I am not sitting there at my computer being like, oh my God, this is the only free time I have to write today. But my brain isn't in the right mindset because now it knows to be in the right mindset. And I would not have been able to write and publish the Stellar Blood trilogy so quickly and so efficiently if I hadn't gotten into this pattern where my brain is like, it's writing time. Or if, you know, once I'm past the writing phase, it's revising time. Um, having that set schedule was really, really helpful because it also kept up the momentum of writing, which uh, we talk about 
in our NaNoWriMo episodes this season, which is very important, even when you don't have the first week high of other people's momentum pushing you along. I would also like to point out, you can get Zara's books at zarahoffman.com, I believe. So go ahead, check those out. Yeah, you can get them there uh, through a link that goes to my Kofi page. And then um, you should be able to find it at whatever ebook retailer you use. So another piece of advice that I really like, and I cannot remember which authors have said it because I'm pretty sure multiple ones have, is that specificity creates universality, which means that while you're writing a character's experience, the more details you can give about that character's experience, it makes it easier for other people to relate, which sounds crazy and paradoxical, but someone really, really feeling, you know, the heartbreak of your God-given soulmate has been lying to you and manipulating you for his own personal gain so that he can get out of his contract with the devil, which is the plot of the Belgrave legacy, but it doesn't spoil anything. Like no one, I hope, can relate to that in its literal form, but we can all understand how it feels to be betrayed. And if I just said like, oh, she was betrayed, you're like, great, I, okay, like I know what that is, but I don't feel it. And therefore you're not having your readers experience the empathy that you want to create with your books. Whereas if I talk about like, oh, like it's hard for her to focus because she's depressed, but I describe the symptoms of depression instead of saying she's depressed. And I say, you know, she has this ache in her chest and she, you know, is distracting herself, but I'm showing it again. Like this is gets into showing and telling and stuff, but like if you can have your readers experience it alongside the person because it's so real with all the details, then that's universality that you wouldn't get if you're like just saying the details of she got betrayed and she's heartbroken, period. It's like, I can't really relate to that because people react to heartbreak in different ways. I think that's really well put. And I think as writers, it's something that we should be thinking about more with our writing because we do want to touch people with our writing, or at least I hope as a writer, you are wanting to touch readers with your stories. And to do that, you have to create this, the empathy and the connection to your characters. So I think that is a wonderful piece of advice. And it's something that I think should be highlighted more whenever we're drafting. And speaking of drafting, don't trend chase. So I know this can kind of, there's a lot of mixed feelings on trend chasing. Once a concept becomes a trend, by the time your book is done, that trend's going to be over. If it's something that you actually genuinely like and enjoy, write the book, you know, because it's going to have your own spin on it, but don't write it for the sake of just writing it to get something published quickly because it's popular right now. Because publishing traditionally takes a very long time. It takes two years on average for a book to get accepted by a publisher and then published for readers. And that doesn't count time that it takes for your agent to find an editor to publish the book or the time it takes for you to find an agent. Yes, that's very important because like you still have to go through all those steps. And by the time you finally get there, that trend 
is going to be over. So don't trend chase. If it's the book of your heart and you want to write it, you know, write write that book. But don't do it for the sake that it's trendy. For people who are thinking, well, I don't want to do traditional publishing. I just want to self-publish. You can write it. But there are people who really love the trend because it is the trend of their heart, the story of their heart, like Kelly was saying. And that shines through. Whereas if you're writing to trend, but you don't care about it, that will also shine through. And do you really want to waste your time on that when you could be writing something that you really like, and then self-published, and your enthusiasm for said book will shine through, get good readers, and things like that. If you do see a trend, and it had a huge blow-up, like young adult dystopian, paranormal romance with vampires and werewolves, or fallen angels, those were all trends that we've seen rise and fall. But like Greek mythology, they come back. Like, you know, we had an interview with the vampire and then Twilight came. I'm sh- There might have been something in the middle and I'm missing it. But my point is, is that just because you want to write a story and you're like, oh, the trend just ended, doesn't mean you shouldn't write it if it's the story of your heart, like Kelly said, because trends come back around. But you shouldn't chase trends because it will end before you're ready. And that's not worth it. Another thing that I think is very important about drafting is that you need to remember this thing called scenes and sequels. Theoretically, every scene that you write should be a scene and a sequel. And what I mean by that is that a scene is something happens and then the sequel shows the result or fallout, at least partially, of the previous thing. So you don't want to have something happen and then the next scene that a reader gets has nothing to do with it. You want there to be a link between all of your scenes so that it flows as a good story. I love that as someone who, whenever I'm writing, before, very early on, I didn't have the connection between scenes necessarily. And one of the good things that I did get very early on in my writing, like I'm talking back whenever I was still writing in college and working was that criticism of you need to connect to this. This came up once and then you never talk about it again. And I think another good piece of writing advice is rejection and criticism is good. It helps you grow as a writer. It helps you realize your writing weaknesses. So that way you can work on making them stronger by working your writing muscles, working those creativity muscles and figuring out what you can do to make your story as good as possible. And that's what is needed to be a good writer is just continue for growth and striving for that. I would also add that, you know, while you're getting rejection and criticism from other people or even in your own head, while you're writing, don't edit. This is like the law of NaNoWriMo, even more so than do it in 30 days. I used to not listen to that. I used to edit while writing. And yes, I put out a lot cleaner scenes and that I think it did help me reach the point now that I can do a very clean first draft and then revise it based on feedback and then publish it. But it slows you down, slows down your momentum. Just don't do it. Just we talk about it in our revision episode where you're writing and then and while you're writing, the inner editor is locked up, which is the term that NaNoWriMo uses. And then when it's time to revise, you let it out of its cage, but not before.
Not before. And I also used to try to edit while writing and it was just, it didn't work for me. I was worrying too much about the perfectionism of everything. And while yes, we are writers and yes, we want our book and our story to be perfect. Take this piece of advice but make sure that your inner perfectionist doesn't beat you with it too hard. (laughs) No one will care about your book more than you. So you got to be your own cheerleader. So yes, while you might have writing friends who love your story ideas, they love your book ideas, they love your draft and your characters. And yes, you're going to hopefully get that agent if you choose to do traditional route that is also going to love your work. To get to that point, you have to believe in yourself and you have to be your own cheerleader and you have to want that book for yourself because no one else is going to want it for you as much as you do. Also, on top of that, when you are getting rejected by agents and editors and publishers, because it will happen. Once you have an agent, your agent will tell you this editor passed on this book. It's a fact. It's unfortunate, but it's true. You need your love for your story and the motivation and excitement to propel you through all of those negative feedback moments when you're writing and you're just giving it to beta readers or, you know, you have your agent and then the publisher. You need to be okay with getting feedback, which goes back to Kelly's earlier point. But in order to not let it destroy you, you have to be your own cheerleader, like she said. Yeah, because while we are all perfectionists to a degree as creative people, we want our art to shine through as best as possible. Don't let the inner perfectionist get you so bogged down with the fact that no one's going to care about your book more than you do. Let it be more of like an uplifting, cheering yourself on, believing in yourself. Because like Zara said, whenever you do get an agent, they will tell you, hey, this editor rejected this. They might maybe have something like reasons why, but take it and work with it and grow from it. Because as writers on this journey, we need to constantly be searching for growth and getting better. The next point kind of goes back to habit is better than inspiration. People need to write every day is the advice that's given. And I don't think that's true because like we said, sometimes you need a break and you can't write. But I do think that you should always do something with storytelling every day. And it doesn't have to be your own. I think that sometimes you need a day to refill the creative well. And that can mean rewatching or rereading or listening to like some of your favorite music because my favorite music always has a type of emotional story in it. Just letting your love of storytelling come back to you. It could also mean if you're not burnt out on brainstorming or outlining, you can do that instead of writing. One of the things I really like about the Millwordy Challenge that I did from September 2020 to the end of August 2021 is that I was able to count outlining words as progress. Whereas most people, like in NaNoWriMo and in other cases, they only talk about the words that they've written in a draft and every other time they're like oh I outlined a chapter but they don't like count the words for that because they don't see it as the same level of progress because it's not going to go into the final product the same way that a first draft is even though it's going to be getting revised. I think you should always do something with storytelling because it will excite you again 
And also you will get ideas. Even if you are not thinking about them, you might think, oh, that's a really cool piece of dialogue. Not that you should copy it, but you can think about like what makes that a good piece of dialogue or why did I enjoy that? Why did I laugh at that? Why is that so funny? Why is this really heart-wrenching? What was the groundwork that went into making this humorous character when they're sad hit me as hard as when I'm laughing along with them or at them. I just think it's a really good thing to do. And sometimes we all need a little excuse to watch some Netflix. I love that. And I feel like that kind of ties in well to my next point, which is also a hot take. Prepare yourself. Writer's block isn't real. Did you get that? I hope listener that you you got that and you're not hating me right now but writer's block isn't real but burnout is so essentially whenever like I would say I had writer's block the reality of the situation was I just didn't want to write I wasn't feeling it. I was trying to come up with excuses not to write, not to work on the story. It's just because I didn't want to. Now, burnout is very different from writer's block because burnout is whenever you've been dedicating a lot of time to your story and characters. And you know what? You're just over it. And that can kind of tie back in with what Zara was saying. Take a day to do something else, whether brainstorming for a different project, outlining, watching your favorite TV shows, movies, reading your own books. It's stuff like that that will refill your creative well that is needed. But don't blame it on writer's block because, in my opinion, with this writing advice, writer's block is not real. You could be burned out, but you're not suffering from writer's block. I think it's Stephen King who said it cellists don't have cellist block and he just goes through a long list of like other professions that don't have insert profession block because it doesn't exist. Burnout, definitely real. We all want to try to avoid it, but I don't know a writer who has never experienced it, unfortunately. When it comes to writer's block or what we call writer's block, because again, I also agree with Kelly that it doesn't actually exist, is that you might have a story block. You don't know where to go in your story. So therefore you feel stuck. But it's not that you can't write. You could write something and it could be complete nonsense. But that if you can write nonsense, that means you're not actually blocked from writing. You can edit it. That just means that maybe you need to go back to planning. And if you're a pantser and you're like, oh, I don't like the plan at all, then okay, fine. Just write something completely different, probably from... Normally, what I recommend to people uh, is a scene that you know is not going to go in the book or their side characters thoughts on what is happening in the main plot. But it's just another perspective that will never go into the book, but you're writing it and you're still in your world. Or you could write a completely different project and start pantsing it. And then boom, you don't have writer's block because you're writing another project. You can keep the wheels moving while being stuck on where to go next in your story but i don't believe there's writer's block in the sense that like you can't write exactly unless you know unless you've lost your voice and can't do dictation and you've broken both your wrists <laughs> then i'm like okay fine you have writer's block <laughs> i like the story block and jenna Maresi's words get the baseball out and take it right to your main character's knees Make something happen, whatever conflict you have going on, just make it worse, amp it up, you know, get creative. That's what editing is for is to go back and fix that later. But you can always write. Burnout is real, but writer's block is not. 
Maybe we should put that on like a t-shirt or something. You know what? I love that. I'll put it on baseball hat. I'll wear it everywhere. I would too. And I don't even like wearing hats. So we kind of talked about a lot of different ways to keep your momentum going. And one of the ways that I have started writing very fast, and it's a complete hack, and it sounds like nonsense, but I tried it and it's true, is to write in Comic Sans. I have no idea why it works. Personally, I believe it's because it's so ugly that I don't want to spend a lot of time rereading my work, and I'd rather just keep going. Sarah Labratt tried this in a video, and she was really upset that it worked. Uh, I think a lot of people are upset that it works because we all don't like the font so much, but it works. And then I actually use the font Open Dyslexia, which is a font developed for people with dyslexia. I personally don't have dyslexia, but I have this Calculia, which if I had a bunch of numbers in my books, that would matter, but it doesn't. But it kind of gets the same thing across because Comic Sans is also dyslexic friendly, where it's weighted in a way that you don't necessarily want to look at it too much if you are not dyslexic because you feel like it's slowing you down reading. But the whole point is that it does slow you down reading so that people with dyslexia aren't mixing up the letters as often. So I write in that some people do something different where they turn their font color to white so they can't reread what they're doing unless they highlight it all. I'm sure there's at least one person in this world who might even type with like a blindfold on, although I haven't actually met that person. But yeah, there are like lots of weird writing hacks that you can do to keep the words flowing. I think those are generally some good hacks. I will go on the record just to say I love Comic Sans and I don't know if it's because I am a slow reader or what it is but tell you what I did that Comic Sans hack for my writing and it does work and it's crazy and I don't understand it but I love the font I don't know why I get so much hate (laughs) I also never heard of someone use like making the font color white that's very interesting and I might have to try that sometime just to see but I also I personally enjoy rereading what I wrote previously before I start writing for the day so like that could get annoying for me but the comic sans thing I can vouch as well as many author tubers can it works and you should try it This has been the Writish Podcast, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Writish Podcast without a hyphen and on Kofi at ko-fi.com slash the Writish Podcast, again without a hyphen. Be sure to join us for our conversation about worst writing advice we have heard. Bye. Bye.